evening, this morning, and uh, my name is Ray, and I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Uh, We're going to start from verse 11. And uh, Matthew is uh, a narrative about uh, Jesus' life um, and ministry, uh, his death and his resurrection. And we will pick up the story um, where Jesus is on trial before Pilate from verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is, as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For they knew it was out of, for he knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with, this, with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do with, with um, what then? What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Then the the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him and took off the robe and put on his own clothes, they led him away to, be, to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a, a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the, the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And, and sitting down, they kept watch over there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross, if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the elders and the teachers of the law, uh, and the, sorry, in the same way, the, the chief priests and the 
teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, if he, if he wants him. He, for he has said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who crucified him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When, those, when, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with, white vinegar, with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They... They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' re- resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the, the centurion and those uh, with him were guarding, those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, "Surely he was the Son of God." This is God's word. Well, good morning, church. My name's Pastor Iggy. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see everyone's faces today, especially if you're new. A warm welcome to you today. Just two quick things before I get into the sermon today. Uh, firstly, a reminder for parents with Sunday school children, there's a special morning tea on today. So please uh, head over to the when you pick up your kids uh, from the gym, stick around there. There'll be some morning tea there. And if you pick up your kids from the preschool, there'll be special morning tea there as well. So please stick around if you're a Sunday school parent. Also, just a personal update from me. You might not have seen Lee Ting for a while because she has been uh, serving in Sunday school, but uh, she's now 38 weeks pregnant and we are ready to go at any time. So I'm on high alert. If I leave during the sermon, there could, there's a reason, all right? Okay, so um, it is, uh, this will be my last sermon of the year as I uh, get ready for yeah, being prepared for baby coming at any time. Uh, but just to give you a little update on that, please keep praying for us. It's going to be uh, a big time for our family as our lives are turned upside down once again for the fifth time. So, but we're looking forward to it. We're thankful to God uh, for this blessing. Okay. Now, uh, Matthew 26 and 27 are the chapters we're looking at today. Um, the crucifixion of Christ is the central part of the Christian faith. Uh, here's a question that I want to ask as we go into these passages, as we look at this massive event. Why did Jesus die? Why did Christ die? Who was responsible for Christ's death? At first glance, it might seem pretty easy to answer this. Uh, It was the Romans. The Roman soldiers, they tortured him, they beat him, they spat on him, uh, they nailed him to the cross. Pontius Pilate was the one that actually condemned him. Uh, That's why he died. He was brutally executed by the Romans. That's the reason. But friends, today we're going to dig deeper. And as we dig deeper into the question of why Jesus died, who killed Jesus, who was responsible, we are going to see some truths that will really transform the way that we see the cross. Today we are going to continue to gaze at the cross, 
to not just glance at the cross, to really look hard at the cross and behold our King crucified. Friends, this is important. Because whether you are Christian or not, this is something we need to do. Because truly understanding the significance of the cross, it changes everything about our lives. And I pray that God will be working today to help you see this. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, what's just happened in the previous uh, chapters, the events leading up to this, Jesus has just finished uh, teaching a section on eschatology, which is teaching on the last days. He's telling people to be prepared for the last days, the, the last days before he returns and comes back. Um, and he said everything he's had to say now, it's done. And now he's ready to die. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 1, the opening verses, uh, the opening verse of this chapter says this, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus is clear what's coming. Nothing else needs to be done. His death is coming. Today, as we enter chapters 26 and 27, um, we, we see what is known as the passion narrative. It's called this because that word actually means suffering in Latin. These are the final moments in Jesus' life, the, the passion now, there's a lot that happens in these chapters, a lot that happens. Um, Ray just read a little part of it leading up to the... So a lot of events happen leading up to the crucifixion. Um, I'm going to just give you a quick overview of the events of these chapters before we dig in to see some of these truths. If, uh, yeah. Now, the first thing that actually happens in these, uh, the Passion events is that, uh, and maybe this is not one that you think about as much, a woman comes with expensive ointments, and she actually breaks a flask of this ointment and it anoints Jesus. And, <laughs> and the disciples, the disciples, they look at this and they say to Jesus, what a waste of money. Why did she do this? That, that could have been spent to help the poor. This is, what, what's she doing? But Jesus says what she has done is a good and great thing. She's actually preparing my body for burial. <laughs> She's looking forward. This is an extravagant act of worship by this woman. And Jesus promises that actually wherever the gospel is told that she will be remembered. And to this day, we remember her. This is the opening sort of frame for what's to come. An extravagant act of worship by this woman in preparation for Jesus' death. What happens next is that Judas then goes off. We don't know if he was triggered by this event. Maybe he was just like, what's going on here? This is, this is getting too much. He, he went off. He went to the chief priest and he said, how much will you give me if I betray Jesus Christ? You know, he, he asks, he goes to the priest, and it's 30 pieces of silver that they promise him to betray Jesus. Then the Last Supper comes. This is a Passover meal, a Jewish festival that's celebrated by all the Jews, and Jesus celebrates it with his disciples for the last time. This is where he teaches about uh, what we will celebrate later on today, uh, communion together, this sacrament of taking bread and wine in remembrance of him as he prepares for his death. After the Passover, they head, um, after the Last Supper, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus, in anguish, prays. He's preparing for what is to come, the intense suffering, not not really the physical suffering, that's not what he's worried about, but the full wrath of God, his Father being poured out on him 
He's the anguish that's coming in anticipation of this. And he's crying and he's praying, but he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. After this, whilst he's praying there, then the arrest happens. Uh, they come and arrest Jesus Christ. Judas leads the chief priest and the, the soldiers to arrest him. They take him, they drag him off um, before the courts. The Jewish council is called the Sanhedrin, and there they try, they try him. Uh, they bring charges against him. They try to find false witnesses to speak against him, to accuse him. Eventually, uh, they can't find any, actually, any, anything that will stick. But eventually, they accuse him of blasphemy because of his claim to be equal to God. And they convict him. But because of what's going on, they need to take him to the Romans for a death sentence. So they drag him off before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the time who was ruling over the Jewish people in that region. Then once again, Jesus is put through another trial, another trial where it is clear he is innocent, but yet he's convicted, condemned to die. And then he's nailed to a cross. Now, I don't know if you notice in the narrative, but it's literally just one line then Jesus was crucified. That's all it says. These are the passion events. The events leading up to, I would say, the biggest event in human history, the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, as we think about these events, as we look at what happened, we ask again, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? And the first point is this. The evil of men. The evil of men. One reason for why Jesus died seems clear. Very clear. Because evil men killed him. The opening section of this, uh, uh, the opening of this section paints an ominous picture. Matthew 26 verse 3. You look in your Bibles. If you don't have them, you can look on the screen. Matthew 26 verse 3. Then the chief priest... And the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or they may be a riot among the people. Ever since Judas, um, ever since Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, riding humbly on a donkey a week earlier, opposition has been rising from the Jewish leaders. And now it's at breaking point. They will soon arrest Jesus, drag him in front of their council and hand him over to the Romans to be executed. It is clear the Jewish leaders were responsible for Jesus' death. But why? Why did they kill Jesus? The scriptures highlights what the Roman governor Pontius Pilate thought of these leaders, and the rest of the biblical evidence would support his assessment of them. In Matthew 27, verse 1, 18, it says this, He knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Um, in the ESV, uh, he knew that it was out of envy, that word, self-interest, envy, that they had handed Jesus over to them. 
Now, Jesus, when Jesus had come on the scene, he had been turning things upside down. He'd been causing a huge stir for these people, the Jewish leaders. They were proud of their special place to lead God's chosen people, proud of their authority. Their contest with Jesus was at its heart. It's an authority struggle because they were being undermined. This place, this privileged place they had as the teachers of uh, Jerusalem, the, the teachers of God, they could see that it was being taken away. They could see that he had authority that they didn't, and they were envious, jealous as his following grew. Sure, there was lots of things they were talking about. They were saying, oh yes, he's leading people away, and he's, he's teaching false things, he's blasphemy, but at his heart, there was envy driving them. They were jealous as he gained more disciples, and their disciples went to him. Jesus died because of the envy of humans. Because of the envy of the Jewish leaders. But not just the Jewish leaders. Also, we know Judas was responsible. Matthew 26, verse 14. Matthew 26, verse 14. Have a look at it with me. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. One of Jesus' very own, his closest inner circle, betrays him. Why would he do this? What would it take to betray your own master? Well, it seems only 30 pieces of silver. It's a reference to Zechariah 11, a passage talking about the miserable wage of a rejected shepherd. Also, the ransom price for a common slave. This was all Jesus was worth to Judas. We can only begin to imagine what was going on in Judas's head. Perhaps he just wanted to shock Jesus. Maybe he didn't intend for it to go so far. Maybe he wanted to say, Jesus, you have to be the military king that we need to overthrow the Romans. Come on, wake up. Stop talking about all this death stuff. You know, maybe he just wanted to give Jesus a wake-up call. We don't know. But one thing that is clear is that greed was definitely part of the motivation. I mean, why else would he ask for money? Jesus throughout Matthew has talked continuously about money. He said in Matthew 6, you cannot choose both, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Judas chose money. Jesus died because of his greed. But others were also responsible. We see Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers. The, the Romans were the ones that ultimately nailed Jesus to the cross. Pontius Pilate was the governor who ultimately made the final sentence on his execution. The case of Pilate is particularly interesting. The, the scriptures really uh, hone in on this. As Jesus stand before, stands before him and is cross-examined, it's clear that Pilate is convinced Jesus is innocent. But he sends him to death. Addressing the crowd, he says in uh, 27, chapter 27, verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that, he was getting nowhere. But instead, an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it's your responsibility. Why did Pilate convict Jesus to death? Because he was a coward. 
the other Gospels feed into this picture that he was scared of the crowd and the uprising that would occur if he didn't listen to them. He just wanted to keep the peace. He didn't want trouble. Perhaps he feared a riot, a riot would threaten, uh, that would threaten his life. Perhaps he feared the wrath of Caesar if he heard about what had happened here. And if that meant killing someone to keep the peace, then he was willing to do it. This is pure selfish cowardice. The selfish cowardice of Pilate. That's why Jesus died. Now as we um, have a, sh- a snapshot of these men, perhaps you think this has answered our question, at least superficially, of why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Well, it's because of the evil of these men. But it's time to go deeper as we look at another reason Jesus died. And that's our sin. Our sin. What were the sins of these men? They were envy, greed, selfishness. We stand here and we can condemn these men in the narrative for their wicked behavior, but Matthew, I think, includes the details of their sin as a moral challenge to us also. Could we confidently say we would have done any different in their shoes? Put yourself in their shoes. If you had the ultimate prestige, authority, and respect from everyone around you, the highest place in society, and someone threatened to take that all away, what would you be willing to do to protect it? Like Judas, what are you willing to sacrifice to gain more money, more wealth, more comfort? How easy it is to compromise on our morals when it comes to money, isn't it? Maybe cheating on our tax just a little bit, being dishonest with our boss, blaming a colleague for our mistake. Like Pilate, how many times have we avoided doing what is right out of self-preservation? We feared what others might think, what others might do. If we stood up for what we actually believed in, we've washed our hands of responsibility, being cowardly for our own sake, even if that's meant throwing Jesus under the bus. Maybe you haven't done these things, but I'm sure, I'm I'm guessing, given the right circumstances and pressure, you could imagine yourself doing them. Maybe we aren't so different to these wicked men after all. What we need to understand, friends, is it's not just their sin, it's our sin that's responsible for Christ's death. It's not just their sin, it's our sin that's responsible for Christ's death. How so? Well, that... There's a universal problem that exists in humanity. Wickedness is not just the exclusive domain of a depraved few like treacherous disciples or envious religious opponents. We're all inherently sinful people, deeply, deeply sinful, broken people, people who have hearts set on rebelling against God and glorifying ourselves. And friends, let me tell you, this sin problem is serious. It's deadly serious because sins means we're cut off from God. It means condemnation and judgment. Sin means we have no hope. How then can we be saved? Well, there's only one solution. Only one. You want to know why Jesus died? Well, come with me as Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples before his impending death. The Last Supper, chapter 26, verse 26. Chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus performs this symbolic act at his meal as a foreshadow of his body soon to be broken, his blood soon to be spilled. For what purpose? For the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. Whose sins? Your sins. My sins. The sins of the whole world. This is the only way. We need to understand this. Only Christ's death can win forgiveness. Our sin made his death necessary. Let that sink in. It's because of our sin that Jesus had to die. If there was any, any other way, God would have done it. But this was the only way. There's no accident that the Passover meal happened, um, that the Passover meal Jesus was celebrating uh, was a time, uh, uh, it was no accident that this particular meal, sorry, was what Jesus was celebrating, the Passover. Because this, the Passover was a time in history, uh, where, uh, a meal that celebrated God's salvation. His salvation as he freed them from Egypt. God did this by sending a final judgment upon the evil of the Egyptians. And what happened was an angel of death actually swept over the whole land and would enter the house and kill the firstborn son of every household. Except if you sacrifice the lamb and painted its blood on your doorpost as God had ordained. The people of God did this. When they did this, they would be protected from judgment. Punishment would pass over them. The blood of the lamb saved them. And as you look at this picture, it looks a bit gruesome because it is. A death is needed for justice. And Jesus, as he celebrates the Passover, what is he saying? He's saying, well, I am the ultimate Passover lamb. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God passes over us because the blood of Jesus has saved us. We deserve punishment for our sin, but Jesus takes it for us. We deserve death, but Jesus dies in our place. And you need to understand this. Let me say it again. There was no other way that sins could be forgiven. Jesus died. Because of our sins. Friends, I hope you feel the weight of that. Because even though we weren't there, we were participants in the crucifixion of Christ. Our sins nailed him to that cross. John Stott writes in his book, The Cross of Christ, this quote, which I really like. Before, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us leading us to repentance. What incredible mercy we have been shown. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus would die for us. Our sin is why Jesus died. But not only that, he also died because it was God's plan. God's plan. Have a look at chapter 26, verse 47 with me. Chapter 26, verse 47. 
while he was still speaking, so this is um, when Jesus is arrested, okay? While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Judas betrays Jesus with the most intimate act. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, greeting rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching you, you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. You see, Jesus' disciples desperately try and prevent his arrest. Of course they would protect their master, but for Jesus it's crystal clear. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. He's the son of God. Of course he could have escaped if he wanted to, but he's allowing these things to happen. Why? Because God's plan from the start has been this. Scriptures written long before, prophets speaking of the coming Messiah, the Savior, all of these things must be fulfilled and they can only be fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this clear. This has taken place that the writing of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now I talked earlier about our serious sin problem, the problem that has plagued each one of us from the start of humanity. Since Adam and Eve, the first humans, sinned and God, you know, God could have just left us there, couldn't he? He could have. After all, sin is saying, God, we don't need you. Get out of our life. We don't want you. So God could have easily left us. He could have said, I'm done with these humans. They hate me. Why should I care about them? But he didn't. Right from the start, God put a salvation plan in place. A plan that has been unfolding all throughout history. This plan is what the whole Bible's about. It isn't just 66 disconnected books. It's all one big, beautiful plan of God. A salvation plan for you and for me. A salvation plan for this world. Why would God go to so much effort? Why would He care? Why would he put in place such an elaborate, fantastic plan that has spanned for centuries and millennia? Why would he even sacrifice his own precious son, Jesus Christ? Well, it's because of love. One of the most famous verses in Scripture is John 3.16. There's a reason for that. It's a beautiful summary of the gospel. I want you to say this with me as I put it on the screen. Say this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You might have read that verse a million times, but I hope you understand what it means. God loved us 
so loved us that he was willing to do whatever it took to save us, even at the cost of his own son. Jesus' death was not an accident. This was all part of his, the plan. God's plan to save a lost people. God's plan to save and grant eternal life to us who had no hope. God's plan to love. Jesus' mission on earth was always about this plan. Right from the start, he was marching towards the cross. Did you know that? He knew. He knew right from the start. He willingly marched to the cross for you and for me. He knew it was the only way. He knew that there was nothing more important to him than the cross. The words he uttered to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane was this, not as I will, but as you will. Why did Jesus die? Well, it was God's plan of love. A plan of love to save sinners like you and sinners like me. Friends, we've seen three reasons why Jesus has died today. The wickedness of men, our sin, and that it was God's plan. But I want to finish today emphasizing one thing. He wasn't guilty. He wasn't guilty. There is a lot of reasons why Jesus died, but guilt was not one of them. In this narrative, over and over again, we are confronted with an unmistakable fact. Jesus was innocent. And this always hits me. This always hits me so hard when I read this account. As he stands before the Jewish council, this is clear. Matthew 26, verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. There's nothing they could find. Eventually, they convict him based on the fact that he's claiming to be the Son of God. Blasphemy, but we know this is true. He is innocent. Again, look at Judas. He has a change of heart in chapter 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Jesus is innocent. And perhaps most striking is the trial with Pontius Pilate. Pilate knows he's innocent. He knows this is just a Jewish plot. He tries to work out smart ways to have Jesus released and satisfy the crowd. He proposes a choice of releasing Jesus Barabbas, someone who was convicted of inciting riots, of violence, or Jesus Christ. And this is what happens, 27 verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him the message, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Jesus was absolutely 100% without any guilt. He was completely, completely 
innocent, yet he was executed. Friends, this is not right. This is not right. Imagine if you open up your Facebook or your Instagram, whatever, in your social media feed, and your friends had shared an article, and it said this, innocent man executed. Innocent man executed. How would you feel? What would be the response? There would be outrage worldwide, wouldn't there? Outrage. Protests on the streets, social media would erupt, governments would be boycotting this nation, whoever it was that did this, and rightfully so, because we feel the injustice. How can an innocent person be killed? How can they be be condemned to death? This shouldn't be. You can't do that. Well, it did happen. This is what happened to your King Jesus Christ. And he never spoke a word of protest. Like a lamb before... His slaughter is silent. A lamb led to the slaughter. He said nothing. Why is this important to know? As we see how undeserving Jesus was of his death, it helps us to appreciate all the more the grace that has been shown to us. Jesus didn't deserve to die. And we don't deserve to live. But we get to. We get to live. Eternal life awaits for all who repent and believe in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, because He has died for us, an innocent man, to save the guilty. The full wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross as He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should have been us. That should have been us. But Jesus took our place. Friends, if you walk away with one thing today, one thing, I want you to walk away with a greater appreciation of your king. Stop and look, really look at the cross. Behold, Christ crucified, your king who suffered because of wicked men, your king who died because of your sin, your king who was crucified as part of God's plan of love to save you, your king who was innocent, yet still died the death of a sinner. Behold your king. Look at him. And as you do that, surely you can't walk away unchanged. Surely things can't just be the same way they were before. It's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart today to change, to respond. I hope so. Because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. This is the most important message in the world. And we need to appreciate the fullness of what Christ has done for us. If you aren't a believer and you're here today, I want you to know that Jesus died for you as well. Forgiveness for your sins is available. It doesn't matter what you've done. How bad it is, God's plan is that you can be saved If you will come and trust in Jesus, he's died for you. It's done. Friends, we would love for you to take that step. We would love to help you take that step. Please let us know on the Connect Cards later if we can help you take a step towards trusting in Jesus Christ. And for the Christians here, just stop. Just stop and look at your king again. Please. Realize that your sin put him on the cross. 
And please don't take that for granted. We should be on our knees, weeping with thanks that he loved us so much that he died for us to wipe our sins away. Friends, we're going to remember that now together, just like Jesus told us to do with communion. As he entered, you would have received a little cup with bread on it. This is a meal for believers, so if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, then 